Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. As always, before I introduce my next guest, I'll begin by thanking you the listeners for your feedback to the show, as well as remind and encourage you to send any of your comments, your suggestions, or your questions to CEO at raincanada.com. That's directly to me at CEO at reincanada.com. As well, if you're inclined, I definitely appreciate it if you were to rate the show and comment on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever other platform you happen to use to listen in. And I invite you to follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thank you again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is sincerely appreciated. My guest today is Randy Dick. He is the driving force behind his business, Eximus Real Estate. Before I bring Randy on, I want to give you a little background about him. Aside from the fact that since 1992, Randy has owned and operated an absolutely top producing full service real estate company right here in BC's Fraser Valley. He's also a husband, a father, and recently he stepped into, guess what? Being a great father-in-law, which is all to say that he, like all of my guests are the seemingly ordinary individuals who have and really continue to produce some pretty extraordinary results. And we're going to talk about that with Randy. Now, over the past 25 years, he and his Eximus real estate team have sold over 4,500 properties throughout the Fraser Valley and Vancouver's lower mainland. And he has a pretty practical and grounded business philosophy. At the end of the day, work hard, treat people fairly, give straight advice, and success in business will actually follow. And it's been that attitude and belief that has led him to being an award-winning realtor year after year right here in British Columbia. When he's not selling home, Randy loves spending time with his wife, Jolene, and their amazing children. And on top of some world travel, when he's not working out at the gym, Randy loves to kite surf. And I've actually seen some pretty cool pictures of him way up in the air as he's playing in the ocean. So Randy's a veteran RAIN member. He's a real estate investor. He's graced the RAIN stage many times, and he always has a lot to offer in the way he shares his knowledge, his insights, his leadership. I'm looking forward to just really getting into Randy's brain and having him share his story and his journey to get to where he is today. And so without further delay, I want to welcome you, Randy, to the Everyday Millionaire Poolside Studio in person. Thank you, Patrick. 
It is a beautiful setting. Beautiful day in the Fraser Valley today. Mm -hmm. I mean, a little bit cloudy, but it's clearing up brilliantly. We're, uh, you know, we're starting in the morning and having this conversation. So it's just a great environment to sit back and relax and have a coffee and have some conversation. So excited to have you here. Absolutely. Your bio is pretty extensive. You know, you... There's a lot of things that you've accomplished. You're certainly realtor extraordinaire, business or, uh, owner extraordinaire, and investor, all of those things. I always want to get a feel from your perspective. If if somebody said to you, so, you know, I've never met you, Randy, what do you do? It's that kind of bit of an elevator pitch. What is What would your response be to that question? Hmm, what do I do? Well, I'm an entrepreneur, first and foremost. Um, I'm a... Um, a husband to a beautiful wife, Jolene, that I've been married uh, with. We just celebrated our 30th anniversary. Congratulations. I've got three beautiful children, two are married. And, um, you know, I would say, you know, if I prioritized my life, at least if I could prioritize my life the the way I'd like it, I'd I'd like to be, hey, I want to be the the best possible human I can be. I want to be the best husband I can be. I want to be the best father I can be. And then the best businessman. I can be mm. in that order. Now, your business, Eximus, is, mm-hmm. give me a little bit of a, you know, mm. a background on that. Now, number one, what does the name mean? Because mm. it's, it's, you know, what does it mean? What, how did that evolve to even be Eximus in the world of real estate and what you do with your business? Right. Well, so I started real estate in May of 1992. So just celebrated 25 years in real estate and started in a small independent office called Clearbrook Realty which was the boutique uh, office in the Fraser Valley or Abbotsford area. And from there, um, I spent seven years uh, working at Clearbrook Realty, then became an owner of Clearbrook Realty, and then realized, you know, being an owner broker is not as easy as it looked, and having quality partners is really important. And I uh, thought, wow, this is really challenging with five partners. And there's a reason why they call them brokers. They're broke. (laughs) <laughs> so okay. uh, at that point, I connected with the Remax office and uh, brokered a deal to bring our office into the Remax office, and uh, that was in uh, fall of um, 2000. And from there, um, I was still an individual agent doing my own gig. Um, some years, I was uh, between 80 and, and 100 deals on my own without any assistance, which was a that's a, a really wow, that's busy. Big, big workload. Yeah. But um, you know, hey, when I was at that independent office, I was the big fish, and I thought I really understood new real estate well. Until I entered a world that was much bigger than what I knew, and that was the Remax world. And then I was bumping into people that were doing four and five hundred deals, and I thought, wow, how do I do that? So that's where the journey of Eximus started. And uh, I started hiring agents to work with me at that point. And, um, and then as we, we grew, we were the Randy Dick team. But I just felt that I needed to um, give our team um, some, a name that the other agents could latch on to rather than just, well, I work for Randy. I work on Randy's team. So I wanted to give them an opportunity to say, I'm an Xmas agent or I'm some sort of an agent other than Randy's agent. Mm-hmm which is where Xmas came. So we spent time with a, with a marketing firm and um, Xmas came out of the word Eximias, which is Latin for uncommon, exceptional, extraordinary, and superb. 
So we shorten it to make it Xmas, wow. just to make it sound a little bit easier, a little bit easier to pronounce. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting. It's not maybe the easiest word for people. Some people think it's Maximus yeah. or Christmas, but um, it's Xmas. It's uncommon, exceptional, extraordinary, and superb. And so that's what we, you know, hang everything under uh, when we're helping people buy and sell property. Wow, we can certainly spend a lot of time on that because knowing you and knowing what you've achieved, when you unpack that, you know, the meaning of it and the mission and the values that you've obviously built around that name really uh, gets kind of deep. It's mm-hmm. it's awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. You know, I want to go back into, you know, you've been doing this since 1992. And because I've gotten to know you a little bit, uh, I have some of your backstory and, and uh you know, you're here's a, a young guy raised in the prairies of Saskatchewan, uh, Pin- Alberta, Alberta, actually, actually Pincher Creek, right? Pincher yeah, Creek, yes, yeah. you're right. Came up in a would would it, would it be a farming background? Would that? Be yeah, absolutely. The, Grew up on a farm. Yeah. Raised and born and raised in Pincher Creek, Alberta, on a farm, on a grain farm and cattle farm. Right now, were you? Did you actually work the farm growing up? Like how how what was your background of that? Because your your parents owned that farm forever or where did, how did they become farmers mm-hmm. and where did that start to evolve? Take me way back into way that back. time. Yeah. Okay. Way back. Um, my, my, my parents met at, um, at a boarding school in Saskatchewan and from there, then they got married and, and did a few odd jobs here and there around Southern Alberta. Um, but then my dad, when, uh, well, I guess this would be about, um, 10 years before my twin brother and I were born bought this farm in Pincher Creek. And so I'm uh, one of one of four siblings. So I have a twin, and then I have an older brother that's eight years older than me, and then 11 years older than me. And, um, and so my two older brothers did a lot of work on the farm, but I and my twin, my twin and I were <laughs> really good at dodging work. <laughs> and I was, I was a pro at it. So I, I did frustrate my, my dad at times because I, uh, I could find ways to Skip out of work. Work around the work. Work around the work, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. In in the context of the show, you know, seemingly ordinary people achieving extraordinary results. You know, I like to go back into where, you know, the history of how people evolved and and that, you know, you just had an upbringing on a farm. What what drove, you know, what drives Mm -hmm. your work ethic, for example? Because I know how hard you work. Mm-hmm. I have a pretty good idea of it and I've seen you at work and, you know, yet, you know, as we talk about this as a kid growing up, you were like the work dodger, you know, you're, you and, mm-hmm. and, and your brother. So, so when you go back into those farming days and, and that youth, um, can you reflect on that and, and kind of see how it all relates? Can you mm-hmm. connect the dots and through the process? So you're young, you're growing up on the farm, you're going to school in Pinch Creek area at the time, yes. at the time. Yeah. And and how long did that whole farming thing last? Did your parents still own the farm? Where is where is that at today? Okay. Well, yeah, I was really good at dodging work. However, my dad was an amazing farmer. Um, when I look back and I compare our quality of farm, our quality of grain, the production of grain, it was exceptional mm. for the area. And so, you know, I, I can remember my dad germinating uh, barley and wheat in the uh, in the in the winter months trying to find the perfect combination that would bring the best crop and so in in you know a, a common thing on a sunday afternoon was you'd drive around the country looking at everybody's crops 
comparing. Mm. And it just came clear to me that, wow, you know, dad, his work ethic, his desire to be exceptional, be eximous, I guess, sure, um, just came through uh, time and time again. And so uh, it was generationally pushed down into me through watching my dad. Um, I, today, my dad's uh, 91 in a month. Wow. And uh, I just see so many of his qualities in me mm-hmm. that um, that I, I didn't know I had until, you know, you, you start unpacking your life where things come your way and you get hit with, with some sort of an obstacle. And then you go, oh, yeah, I can remember uh, dad dealing with something like this. And that's how I reacted. Mm-hmm. Sometimes not always positive, but, sure. you know, mostly positive. So, you know, so that was, that was a bit of the, uh, the work ethic that came about. But then something happened to me when I was 14 years old that changed my life. Mm. Might get emotional here. I had a, a horrible motorcycle accident. Right. And um, I hit a building head on, traveling at a high rate of speed and torpedoed off the bike and, um, and broke my neck. Wow. Woke up um, on the ground, came out of unconsciousness, and I couldn't move. I was literally paralyzed from the neck down. And, um, and spent, you know, two months in the hospital, uh, recovering from that fusion of, uh, you know, three vertebrae, C, three, four, and five, which is wow. uh, the top of your neck. Yeah, so top. as of today, which is, a uh, a 40 year, 40 years ago, this mm-hmm. May, that, that accident happened. And, uh, so I, I had to do everything in my power to, to find the will, the desire, um, to, you know, walk again, to do everything that I did again. And, um, and I had this great, um, measuring stick called my twin brother, Gerald. Sure. That, um, we were equals in everything up until that point. And, um, at that point I, I was not an equal anymore and I desired to be there again. And so that's where my competitive nature came about. Like, I mean, I was already competitive, but it just, it amped it. And so um, everything in life um, has been shaped from that accident in a lot of ways of how I do things today. It just, you know, that accident changed everything for me. I wouldn't change it for the life of me. Um, It it was a a monumental um, moment, um, a crucible in my life that I would never change. Tell me about that particular accident in the the context of, you know, you dug deep and you were, you know, really inspired, of course, for all the reasons you were to walk. I mean, there's, uh, you know, fundamentally just to live your life differently. Did you find at that time, not having ever had that kind of an accident, you know, was there times where you just wanted to give up? Like, is there, is there a place for you Mm -hmm. that when you look back at that, it was that you found yourself saying, why I'm just, I'm, I can't do this. Or was it, was that ever a question for you? Mm. I I had a couple of those moments in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, why me? Right. Why this? Uh, a little bit of that, yeah. But you know the the beauty of it was I was fourteen, mm-hmm. and your mind your mind doesn't go there. You haven't had too many things that have sure. told you that life's going to be you know tough, tough yeah. and yeah. crappy, and you know uh, at that point there wasn't a lot of things that it influenced right. me negatively. Sure. Only positive influences in my family life my parents, my circle of friends, it was all paused. So I didn't, you know, I was fortunate it was at 14 and I could just 
you know, well, you basically had the, you, reshaped my mind. Sure. You, well, you had the physicalness, you know, that number one, the youth, uh, you know, the physical youth and, yeah. and healing power of youth. But probably you didn't even know what limitations were because you had no context for what was limiting, you know. So you just went, I got to get better. So Absolutely. Now, you're, you're obviously you, lots of family support mm-hmm. through that process. And yeah, as you say, it, it shaped your life. It shaped how you maybe approach different challenges even today. Mm-hmm. And so you're in the hospital. You're a couple of months in the hospital. Is that was what I understand? Yes, two yeah. months. And then what was your convalescence in terms of you know getting back to kind of some kind of health where you were 100 percent again or close to it? Was it a long time? It was. It was a, a solid year of mm. basically learning to do everything. Yeah. You know, I was fortunate that it didn't sever my spinal cord. It only traumatized my whole spinal cord, so it shut it down. And now I just needed to like re-energize it and uh, bring my sp- spinal cord back to what it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, it it's still not there, but, you know, nobody would know that yeah, looking I would at never, me today. I mean, you'd look at you today, you're, you know, you're, you're fit, you're, you're, you know, you're active, you're doing all the things mm-hmm. that would appear quite normal or, or above average, actually, in terms of your physicalness, given age and all the things that you got going on. Yeah. Interesting. So, so you're 14, you have the accident, you come out of that, you recover, you continue to live in Pincher Creek until, and did you go to school in that area? Did you, what, what happened thereafter? Yeah. I, you know, I was, was in Pincher Creek. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my physiotherapist, so if, if I could go back to the, the recovery of that, sure. my physiotherapist was my twin brother. Mm. There was no physio as what we would know today. So it was just get out on the basketball court and we're going to play till I win. Jerry, like, like we're playing till I win. Um, I was back on a motorcycle within, within about a month after coming out of the hospital just to do some leisure Riding. rides. Yeah. And, um, and I just, I just kept amping it up, amping it up till I got to the point where I'm beating my brother again, or I'm at least competitive with my brother, whether it be basketball, hockey, uh, motocross, whatever it was, that was, that was, he was my benchmark to reach again. Well, isn't that interesting, you know, uh, because of course we have listeners from literally around the world is, you know, Pincher Creek is, you know, small, small town, Alberta, Canada, and even resources at that time would have been limited. So the fact that you had that kind of mindset to push yourself and, and happen to have a twin brother mm-hmm. that, uh, you could compete against that's kind of, that's kind of cool. That's, yeah. you know, good for you. So, you got through that process and, you know, you, you arrived today as an entrepreneur, you're business savvy. Was there, you, you spent some time with Remax office and then you, when did you start to recognize that entrepreneurial spirit in you? Quite early on. Um, I, I never wanted to be a, I didn't want to be a farmer. I appreciate the lifestyle, but it wasn't, it wasn't for me, but, but that whole understanding of owning something and building something was always there and that was uh through my through my dad i saw him you know building his farm and building it better every year growing we'd buy more property or farm more property every year it was always this moving forward attitude that i saw in him and um and so um i knew that it wasn't fit for the farm but i was fit for sales i had this this dream this desire to own a store of some sort and mm. it uh, it started out with clothing so I actually worked in some clothing stores. Um, I worked in a sports shop for 
for a number of years before real estate. And that's where I really honed a lot of my selling skills and my entrepreneurial skills. Um, I, I learned a lot of things running a retail store. Uh, I think if you can run a retail store and do well, um, you're fit for a lot of things in life. Well, uh, as you know, I've owned retail stores for 35 years in Edmonton. So, you know, it's interesting about retail, but that's a different conversation. So I do really relate to that. So you came out of the retail world. When did you leave the homestead? When did you When did you leave home? Mm, good question. I left when I was 16. So I mm. went to a private high school, the same private high school that my parents met at. Wow. In Rostern, Saskatchewan, just north of Saskatoon. Small school, 130, 40 students, which was really liberating for me. Um, I'm 16 years old. I have to make all these decisions for myself. It was dormitory. I uh, wasn't always the most dedicated to being a student. I, I loved uh, playing sports, um, hanging out with people, doing all those things. But but uh, scholastically, I was, that's eh, not that important to me. So I didn't put a lot of effort into it. And that was my grade 12 year I went there for grade 12. Mm -hmm. uh, the cool thing was that you could be on every sports team because there's only 120 or 30 or 40 students. Right. So it was really cool. I played every sport there. Had a just a blast being in the dorm with, you know, 70 or 80 other uh, young men. And, um, <laughs> and kind of didn't work very hard at my schooling, which um, brought me to a second crucible in my life. Mm -hmm. The accident. And then the second crucible of my life was I didn't get a course that I needed to graduate from the province of Saskatchewan. Okay, here we go. So here I see my twin brother again, because yeah. we both went. You went through the course, yeah. so you're still hanging with Jerry. Yeah. yeah. So uh, here I see my brother graduating, walking up on stage, and I wasn't allowed to, which was really, really a challenge for me. It was tough. Mm -hmm. So I committed, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to prove to these students and teachers that, you know, I'm, I can do this scholastic thing as well. So I went back for a second grade 12 year, which was amazing. Part of it was that I actually was now not a twin. I was Randy the individual, which was really important for both Jerry and I, I think, to be separated. Sometimes twins can be just, you know, you're always connected at the hip. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I really did well at school. Um, I was you know, one of the, one of the better athletes on many of the teams. So I got a lot of playing time and, um, it was just a real, really, really great experience for me. So again, one of those things where I had to really step up and prove myself again, um, why I, I could be awesome at something, why I could be brilliant at something. So when you, when you look back in terms of your, you know, your being raised and, you know, the relationship that you, you obviously had with your twin brother, who there's no mistake that you guys are brothers. That's for darn sure when you when you see Jerry. But the, the question, you know, comes out for me is that as you're kind of not doing the best in school or you're, you know, spending more times having fun playing sports, where are your parents in all this picture? You know, do you were, I'm, I'm sure they were very involved in your life, but how were they raising you mm -hmm. and what kind of, you know, conversations were you having with your dad versus your mom kind of thing? What role? And, and the reason I get into, and I want to investigate these is that as I continue to talk to uh, so many of my guests is there isn't like, there isn't, you know, we're going to crack the code on anything. I'm really seeing the differences and, and how 
people's life evolves and all of a sudden it shows up this way. So there isn't, you know, there isn't any one way to do it, but I also see that there's different connectedness to how they're raised. And, and, and for you, can you look back and go, this is what my dad did versus my mom. And this is kind Mm. of some of our morals and values that, that really drove me today. Yeah. My mom and dad were quite different. My mom was very compassionate, very caring, soft-spoken, um, only wanted the very, very best, was um, an incredible servant to the people around her, but just an incredible servant. She had four boys. Right. Four, four yeah. farm boys. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she just was a tireless servant and always wanted to serve and, and uh, do good for people. Um, where my dad was more very driven, um, very committed to being the best he could be in a in a business sense. He set the bar real high, right? And he he was on many boards, whether it be the Alberta Wheat Board. The, the he was the president of the of the co-op, which in Alberta co-ops are really big. So he he um, was the president of the co-op and uh, led a building program there and a mall program. So I saw him working in the community as a very dedicated, committed, um, you know, high energy individual that wanted to succeed and help help the people around him succeed. Uh, so they're they're quite different. So I kind of get a bit of both. I I can get really emotional, and I think I have a somewhat compassionate heart for people, but then I'm really driven, which kind of conflict at times, sure. you know. Um, and so I, I sometimes struggle putting those two things together because sometimes I'm so driven, I, I'm blind to some of the other things, but then I can pull back and then really find that compassionate side or that servant side of my mom. Right. So do you, so when you're back in school and, and, you know, did you have your dad like, you know, kicking your butt mm-hmm. and your mom saying, yeah. you know, Randy, you're okay. Is it, was there, was there that kind of pressure or, or how did that show up for you back then? Well, they're they're very supportive parents. Mm. Um, just an amazing family of of support, and we um, they would often be encouragers, um, be listeners, and hear me out without without uh, telling me I have to do this, you have to do that. Um, and so they 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 set the course. They guided and directed me in a certain course, but they gave me lots of parameters to to win or fail. Mm-hmm. And when I failed, they would be there to pick me up, but not to, you know, criticize me. So, um, and I was just thinking about this the other day. My dad my dad was always such a good listener. And he he would just let me kind of walk my way through whatever I was working at. Um, for instance, you know, when I when I didn't get my my grade 12, the first year around, you know, he, he just listened to my heart and, um, he says, well, what would you like to do? He didn't tell me I had to go back to school. He didn't tell me how to get my, my grade 12 diploma. He didn't tell me how to go to summer school. He just said, well, what do you think you should do in this situation? Well, really letting you make the decision right. for yourself. So, you know, led, but didn't push. Great. Now, how are you, you know, you got a twin, you know, Jerry, and, and then a couple other brothers, so four boys. Uh, raised in the environment you were raised in, you came out, you know, swinging as an entrepreneur. And what about what about your brothers? Where are they in, mm-hmm. in the bigger picture? So my twin is a mechanical engineer. I always tell people he's the brain. Yeah, I was going to say he's a smart twin. Yeah, okay, he's yeah. the smart one. <laughs> That's great. I just I just live by by my heart. 
and he's the smart one. Um, he was uh, heading up a, a large company here in uh, in the Fraser Valley, and they were developing and designing um, hydrostatic transmissions for large implements, sure. personnel carries, that yep. kind of thing. He just recently went to uh, another large company that is, he's now CEO, so he is the smart one, sure. uh, of a company that is uh, in the $50 million range of sales, and they're moving towards 100. They want to reach 100 in the next five years, so big growth plan. So he just he just started that in the last uh, right. three weeks. Another overachiever. Yeah. And, uh, and, then, and not even an overachiever, just another achiever. Now, what about your other brothers? My, uh, my brother Rod, eight years older than I, is in... Surrey, and he was a, a salesperson for yep. many, many years, valves and fittings for Swage Lock, yep. then uh, started his own uh, transmission business, and since has uh, semi-retired and doing uh, some odd jobs here and there. And then my oldest brother, Lauren, actually took over the family farm and farmed for, for many, many years. He's now um, a power engineer in Medicine Hat and working for uh, the oil and gas industry. So kind of a mix of entrepreneurial, but yeah. definitely leadership that was came out of four brothers that were brought up and raised in the environment you guys were raised in. Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting. Now, when did you come to Fraser Valley? How did you end up here? Mm. Yeah, in 1984, I decided to come to uh, Abbotsford. Um, my twin had come earlier. Jerry came earlier, but I came in 1984 to go to Columbia Bible College. And at Columbia Bible Columbia Bible College, I met Jolene, which uh, she's from Steinbach, Manitoba. Uh, we did two years there. We fell in love and uh, got married shortly after. Wow. And is uh, Jolene has been at home as a mother raising your children, or was she part of your business? Where did Jolene fit into the picture of, you know, kind of the business that you created and the life you've created for yourself? Mm -hmm. Well, she uh, she was in the banking industry, mm -hmm. so she worked as a, as a bank teller, as a head teller, and so forth. And then we had our first daughter, Sydney, and um, we thought, well, she'd just go back to work. Two weeks into that, we just looked at each other and said, yeah. we can't do this. Yeah. So at that point, um, I was uh, making a pretty meager wage um, working the uh, the sports shop, working managing the sports shop. But we we somehow made it work that she could be a stay-at-home mom. And, um, and uh, shortly after that, about a year and a half later, that's when I started real estate. And she's been a stay-at-home mom ever since, which was really beneficial to us. Oh, sure. Not only our children, but just it allowed me to really engage and pour everything I had into real estate because I knew the home front was taken care of. So we worked as a team. Yes. And Jolene just did everything that was from the home all the way out to, you know, doing the garbage even. Sure. <laughs> you know? Um, and so she allowed me just to pour everything I could into real estate. You know, there's, uh, without doubt, uh, every, I think anybody that I've had and interviewed on the show, it really is a case of behind every great person is a significant other. And, yeah, uh, you know, as men, we say, you know, you know, behind every great man is a, an amazing woman. And I think that we can both attest to that. And, and certainly, you know, there's also there's the tests along the road of relationship and, and certainly, you know, there's a change of relationship, but it doesn't change in terms of being a, you know, having somebody on your team that has got your back is doing some of the things that you need done. And in your case, you know, raising your daughters or supporting you and raising your daughters, looking after your household, giving you the space really to 
um, be awesome in, at, at supporting the family and, and growing a business. In your relationship with Jolene, was there, I don't want to say agreement, but, you know, there's often when I'm doing some of the coaching that I do in the background and have had conversations with young couples is there's a lot of, I've worked the hardest or, you know, I'm, oh, how come I'm the only one cleaning the house? And, you know, while you're off, you know, you having fun working, like is were those conversations that you and Jolene got to in terms of the roles that you play and how your relationship is going to be? And, and was it, were those really conscious conversations that you were having? Early on, early on in, in the real estate career. So in 1992, negative net worth, uh, just living on $1,300 a month and making a, a mortgage payment, you know, a car, a, a young daughter, uh, we just poured everything into whatever we were doing. And we, we quickly came up with an understanding, you know, just, just allow me to do what I have to do to get, to get deals, to make deals, to help people buy and sell real estate. And you take care of everything at home. So it, it wasn't, uh, a formal, hey, you take care of this and this and this, mm -hmm. and I'll take care of that and that and that. Mm -hmm. It just, uh, we had a really clear understanding, a very clear communication, how we are going to do it. And as the years rolled on, then we started having more conversations, how, how we're going to manage this, especially as our kids got a little older, more involved in, in sports and school and all that. How do we manage all this and make sure that I can show up for, you know, the soccer game or the baseball game or you know, I, I was coaching the kids through this as well. I was, you know, one of their coaches in, in many of the sports. So how do we manage and do all this? And so uh, it, it kind of evolved, but we had a really, really clear understanding, you know, who's taking care of what. Would you say that, you know, would you say that because as a couple, you just had a absolute commitment to creating a life, you just needed to do and and you you were willing to do whatever needed to get done right in in creating a great life so it was it really wasn't about her doing and you doing and i'm not talking about you specifically it's kind of a little bit of a philosophical conversation and the realization that the more people i talk to and and who have achieved really great results and have relationships part of it is is that there isn't a you and me there's, you know, you're going to play your role 100%. I'm going to play my role 100%. And we're together going to create the life that we're committing to so that it doesn't feel like there's sacrifice on one person's part or the other. It's just mm -hmm. we're committed together. Does that does that resonate with you? Or is there anything that you would add to that in that in that conversation, Randy? Yeah. You know, you know it. Um, as I said earlier, you know, it. how can we individually be the best humans that we can be? And then how can we be the best? you know, spouses to one another, the best parents for our children, and then the best businessman or the best best entrepreneur. Um, it didn't always line up in that order, sure. but that was the philosophy that we had, or that's the mindset that we had as a as a family. Mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, as long as you have those those priorities settled in your mind, right? like sometimes they get flip-flopped just because business gets so crazy and busy that you sure. sometimes have to sacrifice something to, to make it work. But uh, that that was the philosophy that that we move forward with forward with every day. Mm -hmm. you now here's an example. I would leave the house at uh, six thirty in the morning to get as much done when people don't need me, so I could really power through my day. I knew that I had a baseball game to coach one of my daughters or son um, 
in the evening and I had needed to be there by 6.30. So I would basically race home at, uh, at six o'clock. Jolene would have something prepared for me to eat. The kids have already eaten. Um, I would quickly change into my sweats, my, my, my coaching gear, and I would take whoever it was to that bowl diamond and we'd warm up the team and we'd do the, do the, do the game. But I had a change of clothes with me. But it was just, it was just known that after the game, I was going to go back into my vehicle. I, I usually drive a truck. I would change and I would go to my next appointment. Sure. At seven or at, at 8.30, I'd meet, meet. Right. It was just, that was just, we just knew that that was how it was going to roll. And there was no, well, you're not going to be home to help the kids go to bed. Well, no, we, we both knew our commitments in our worlds. And that was a common commitment to each other to succeed and give our our life mate, our, our family, uh, uh, an opportunity to have a privileged life. Well, you know, the reason I spend a little bit of time on this is that 30 years of marriage is a pretty amazing achievement by any standards these Thank you. days. And so, um, it's always, you know, there's some, there's always some gold in the conversations that we can have around relationship with different people that have actually achieved, uh, you know, 30 years of marriage. I mean, that's pretty remarkable and uh, three great kids and successful business and, and life gets messy and we have all the things that happen in our life. But, you know, to get through that together, uh, to me, is just a big statement of character and focus and, and commitment. Mm-hmm. So uh, never stop dating. Never spouse. stop dating your spouse. Such a good one. Isn't that true? That was a commitment we had. We would mm. somehow we'd, we'd find a way to, to have a date every week. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. Now let's go, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the, the evolution of your business and Eximus and real estate. And, you know, you, at one time you had a pretty significant, you've, you had built your business to have a pretty significant team of realtors. Give me a little bit of background on Eximus and kind of the, what you, the, you know, your growth and what you went through and what you were learning along the way and, and some of the realizations you've had as you've, as you've grown that part of your business. Well, um, as I said, when I came to Remax, I was an individual agent and I was very proud of being an individual. I thought, listen, look at the number of deals that I can do on my own. I was really proud of that. Well, I mean, 180 to 100 deals or 60 to 100 deals a year. That's a lot of deals. Right. To handle on your own. That's a busy guy. So I, I, I saw teams around me and I kind of poo-pooed them because I think, you know, you've got three agents, two assistants, and I'm an individual doing my own thing. And I'm like far surpassing your production. So I was using them as benchmarks again. I I always have benchmarks that I want to sure. surpass. Yeah. So I, I'll pick something. and then I'll, So that's where I was at. And then I met a fellow named Ray Uncana. He was the broker owner of Remax. And he came to me and said, you're far too good to be doing this on your own. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you need an assistant. You need other people on your team because you're just, you know, you, know, you would kill it or you're killing yourself. He, he finally said, you're just going to kill yourself. And the realization of that was coming clearer and clearer because I was just like powering out, just doing so much work. So I said, well, if you really think that's important to me, hire my first assistant for me. He says, absolutely, I'll take care of that. So I gave him a couple names of people I thought would be good in my circle. 
he went and interviewed a, a few of them and said, you should be hiring this person. Um, so I hired her. And, uh, and one of the things I said to Ray, I said, well, listen, I'll hire somebody if I get 30% of my time back and I'll increase my sales volume by 30%. Well, what happened after a year is I, I doubled my sales volume. I got my 30% of my time back, which was exceptional. I couldn't believe it. You know, so I'm doubling my income and I'm having more time. But the problem was she made me so good that now I was doubling that again and I was losing all my time. So then again, Ray comes along and says, why don't you hire a buyer's agent? So I hired a buyer's agent and I went, wow, this is amazing. You know, I'm on the back deck on a Friday evening and I've got somebody else making a deal for me. That's Shoot, called leverage. Shooting I deals, like that. sure. And so um, that was the start of, of the team concept. And I just started hiring more individuals, interviewing more individuals to get to the point where I am at today. Can we spend a little bit of time, Randy, on that conversation around hiring an assistant? Because, mm. you know, I think that this is probably one of the biggest conversations I have with real estate investors and entrepreneurs. I don't want to say it's the biggest. It's a, it's a common uh, conversation. So can you, if you expanded on that realization, uh, how, how long were you into your business? Like how deep were you into your business at the time when Ray said to you, hire an assistant? That was eight years in. Eight years in. So, so you'd spent a lot of time just working your butt off and you were looking after all the details, all the minutiae. You were answering phone calls and emails or if there was emails back and it really wasn't back then. So, but, so that was even worse. It was even, you know, it was even less efficient than we are today. Phone and facts. Yeah. Yeah. Phone and <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Um, so the, so the, when you look at the, uh, hiring of that assistant, I'm sure it was a push for you in, in, or was it a uh, push for you in terms of an investment in, in uh, a staff? Like you're, you know, now you're having to pay a salary, whatever mm -hmm. it was back in those days. Uh, that what, was a bit of the roadblock. Yeah. Um, I yeah. often see people get stuck there. Yeah. Would you agree? I mean, you certainly have worked with lots of realtors, lots of brokers, lots of people, lots of entrepreneurs is they see the hiring of an assistant, for example, as a cost as opposed to an investment in freeing up their time to do what they're brilliant at. Mm -hmm. Because obviously you've come to realize that you're great at sales, you're great at relationship, you're great at, you know, working backwards from an outcome from your client. And although you're have the ability to, you know, to do all the minutia, it's not the best use of your time mm -hmm. and it doesn't support the growth of your business. Would that be a fair statement for you? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to shine a light on that, you know, for listeners that are kind of you know, looking at their own business development is that often we get to a place in our business that we have to realize that hiring somebody to look after the details and some of those people are so good at it and they love it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't get that. You're a, you're like me. You, you, you like to talk about the details, but don't big picture. Man. Yeah. Big. Yeah. Don't choke. My, my brain hurts some days after yeah. I get into some of the minutia that I, I sometimes find myself in and that, we all do. Right. Yeah. That was the realization uh, you know, there was a realization uh, once I hired my first assistant. I went, "Wow, this is amazing!" Like, I'm not good. I'm I'm only good at a couple things, mm -hmm. and it allowed me to be really, really good at those few things and all those detail things that would just bury me. Um, I didn't have to do anymore, and I realized, "Holy cow!" 
somebody's really good at that. They're doing that. And I'm really good at this, which is meeting with people, helping them understand what they should be buying and selling as far as real estate. And at that moment, the light bulb went on for me, even though I had a friend tell me years prior to Ray coming to me, hire an assistant. He was in a different field. He was in the financial advisor field. Sure. And uh, wow, what a, what a light bulb experience for me. Just an aha moment. And at that moment, I went, I need to just keep leveraging, leveraging, leveraging through other people. Yeah. You're, and, so you're at that point, you're leveraging talent and human resources, right? Right. And at the same time, they get to leverage through me. Sure. Right. So it's not just a one-way street, it's two-way. And that's, you know, when you when you talk about leadership, um, when I think about leadership, it's really about uh, leverage and legacy. You know, um, you can't have legacy, you can't have leadership without legacy. You can't have leadership without leverage. And that goes both ways. So you know, when I think of a great leader, if I want to inspire to be a great leader, I need to think about leverage and legacy. What does my legacy look like? Or what do I, what do I want it to look like? And when I've arrived there with legacy and, and leverage both ways for all individuals involved in my life, then I can say, hmm, I think you became a pretty good leader. So when you look at leadership, Randy, because you you've developed your teams and in, 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 it all makes sense, you know, in, on paper, right. It's all, you know, there's these ideologies about building team and, you know, you play your position and I'm not going to make you afford because you're a great defenseman and all of those things. What have you discovered about yourself? You know, do you see where it's not about what you do as much as how you've how you have to be, how you have to, you know, who you're becoming is, is also part of what you're doing. It's, you know, in the evolution of our, of leadership, um, did you do a lot of training or are you really reflective and conscious of your leadership? Do you really focus on that development? What is it for you? Mm -hmm. You know, without creating a team, um, I, I don't think I would have, um, established good leadership skills. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it really forces you to hone your skills, doesn't it? It, it made me a student of everything. Because now people were expecting things. They, you know, they're they're leaning on me to help them become great agents or great people, and uh, and it made me. It forced me to become stu- a student first before a leader. And um, and to me, I, I'm just so grateful that uh, somehow I was inspired to start a team because it shaped and formed who I am as a leader. Uh, I am I'm a leader more by leading by example. And I'm not sure that's always the right thing, but that was my- That's your style. My style. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes by leading, for me, leading by example, I can maybe uh, like crush the people around me because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to prove to them, this is how you do it. And I'm sometimes so intense- <laughs> Right. That I sometimes download so much on people around me that I sometimes, I think, uh, am not the best leader I should be. So why, you know, in that conversation, you know, there's, you know, we read, uh, you know, I've certainly read as you have lots of books on leadership and, and what I've discovered in all of this is that there is a level of intensity that successful entrepreneurs have that they're not aware of. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, you and I can have a conversation and I don't hold it as intense. You don't hold it as intense. It's just you and I having a conversation, but somebody who's 
not of the same entrepreneurial spirit will walk away from that conversation and go, whoa, those guys are intense. And that's been my observation. So in, in your intensity and in working with your team, and do you get backlash around that intensity? Do you find that there's people on your team that just that's, they roll with it and go awesome. And then others go, you're hurting my feeling or how is, how is that with you in, in your observation as you've learned, you know, as you're learning and evolving as a leader? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have uh, been known to, to squash or, or crush some people around me just because I'm so intense and competitive. Right. So, you know, we've got uh, many people on the team and we all have our goals of numbers that we want to, you know, achieve and how many sales and, I'm competing against my teammates rather than right. than uh, than being you know alongside with them, so I have to kind of you know back off back off sometimes and just whoa like slow down, Randy. Like you're you're not competing against them. You're all together. So there's a there's a you're a no excuse kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know I know that about you. There there just is no excuses. You know if if you set your mind to doing it, there's just no excuses. I'm going to get it done, and there'll be some challenges, and you'll have all those things along the way. But you get really focused on that outcome. And so with your team, do you create that environment? Is that is that when you're when you're having your team meetings? Are you do you think that that is an environment that you've done a good job of creating? I do. I do. Um, I think being a good leader, you have to be a visionary. Mm-hmm. But also, I think even more importantly, sometimes a preacher. So you think of Martin Luther, you mm-hmm. know, and how, you know, he he was such a a, a powerful person. He I believe, yeah, I believe, sure. right? Yeah, lots and of vision. And so, um, in order to to bring the team together, I think they need to see that you are like so committed to the cause, and you believe everything that you're doing as an organization, as a team. Um, that they they get wrapped up into that that whole process of I believe. Sure. Um, not everybody sees it the same way, though. Of course. And so that's where uh, I think I've failed at times where I either haven't been as clear in giving the vision and then preaching that vision and then executing that vision for some people. Um, they maybe just don't don't get me. And I and I've failed to get them at times. So so talk about let's let's just touch on failure. You know how what is when you look at you know some of the failures you've had and and we've all had them and we hold failures differently. And how, what is failure about for you? How do you look at the you know the things that don't go the right way for you? The outcome that you're looking for. How how do you hold the space for that? Or what's your own reaction to it? Hmm. Interesting. I just finished reading a book called The Subtle Art. Of not giving a beep. fuck, yeah, for sure. I read Mark Manson, <laughs> great book, loved it. And you know, um, we're going to have a lot of stuff come at us, mm-hmm. and there's just no way that we can we can win at everything. Um, and so, I, I take those losses or the where I fail as opportunities to obviously learn, but I let them run off my back real quick. Mm-hmm. It hits me, I deflect it. Um, keep moving forward. I have a saying, I never look in the rear view mirror. I don't want to get caught up in looking in the rear view mirror and thinking, what did I not, you know, how did I, how could I change that? How would I have done it differently? You know what? I just didn't do it right. Let's keep moving forward. Let's get on with this. Do you, do you find that in your decision-making process that you're, if you're, I know for me is that I'm always looking at it going, if I'm making my decisions from the best and highest place, attached to the vision, always keeping my client or my team 
first and foremost in front of that decision. If I'm only ever making decisions from what I believe is in the best interest of my client, my in in the case, well, whatever that client is, or my team, sometimes it's not going to work out the way I want, but I can always just rest on the fact that the decision was made as clearly clearly as it could be made on on the best information I had at the time. Mm-hmm. Do you do you kind of live in that space as well? Yeah, I call it intent. You know, if my intent is pure, the I'm going to do the best I can. You know, I want to, I want my intent to be pure in how I think process for the people that are involved in whatever situation is. And if that is true to my heart and I really want to be pure about my intent, then I've done the best I can. And in most cases, the result is eximus. Now, let's go back a little bit around decision-making. And, you know, you've made a, a lot of money in your day and, and, and a lot of courses always, you know, however you define a lot, but you've done very well financially. Was there a time where you were making decisions strictly from a make money place or, or were you kind of always in the mindset of I'll make money if I really deliver on this promise or this commitment to my, my client, what's your mindset around that or your philosophy around how you actually drive revenue? In helping clients, it's never about the money for me. I just never, never think of the, of the commissions. If that's, uh, you know, if, if that were, it, there's always got a commission in the deal, but I never base my decision on how I'm going to help the client over that. My whole game is about how do I help this person achieve what they want to achieve? Sometimes they do, don't even know what they want to achieve or what they, their expectations may not be right for that situation, but it's never about the money. However, if that's the way I approach it, eventually there's money at the end. Sure. And the, the I've been very, very fortunate, blessed that the money has come in the end, and and uh, it's given me opportunities that I would have never foreseen 25 years ago. Never, never, never foreseen. What lights you up about the business that you're in? Because you know some people, you know, it's like you. We often you know, are hearing about individuals who have a career and they hate their job and they wake up in the morning and they groan about having to go in and it's a grind and they're only looking forward to the weekend, all of those stories. Right. And, and I know that you and I as entrepreneurs and as business owners and leaders, you know, I still every day look forward to what I'm, what's coming at me. And even though sometimes it's heavy lifting and it's a grind and all those things, but there's no part of me that says I hate my life or I hate what I'm doing. What is it that lights you up about what you do in, in, the, in the industry called real estate and, and what Eximus stands for? Mm-hmm. I love seeing other people succeed in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, life is, is so big. It, it's not just money. It's not just doing the right property purchase or the sale. But it's just how can I help people around me uh, enjoy and be better at life? and um, Man, I wake up every morning. I'm fired up to help people um, be better than they were yesterday and uh, give them better opportunities than they had yesterday. Um, help them to succeed. Uh, I get I get a lot of joy out of that. I think it's my it's 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 why I'm here. I've been created to to be an influencer, um, be a, a servant, be a, a connector to help people be be better than than they were the day before in whatever fashion, whatever world that they live in. Good friend of mine. I think, you know, Alan Kahn. 
No. You, you haven't met Alan. Anyways, the, you know, but Alan Kahn would call that your calling. That really yeah, yeah. is about your purpose, right? It is. And, and I'm sure others call it you know, your calling. And it's really understanding what that is. I think, you know, in that it's, it's, it takes longer for most people to get to what that really is. You know, as we grow up, it's all about how do I make a living? How do I pay my bills? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it really does start to shift. Do you think that's, do you see it the same way or, or were you pretty clear even younger that that was who you are in terms of your identity? Now we all grow up and we, you know, we evolve as human beings and, and as man and all the rest of it. But do you think, was it, was there a place where you were always wired to that? Do you think? Calling is a great word. Um, I always felt that I was built for greatness of some sort. Yeah. You know, um, think of what, why am I here? Why did I survive that, that, crash at 14 sure why um so many things come your way and and you just work through them and you go man i'm so grateful that that actually happened when you look back gratitude and things that happen in your world that shape and form you and um i I mean i I just can't say that there was a moment that i was called to be this this person but it's just evolved out of the the crucibles the things that happen in your life you know, we talk about 30 years of marriage. I mean, it's not all bliss. Of course. You know, you you got to fight through a lot of things to make it work. Uh, your children, uh, your business, personally where you're at in your own mind. Like there's there's always challenges that come and just continue to shape and form you. But then you realize, wow, I, I mean, I, I've worked my way through that or we worked that w- our way through that together. And then um, there's great gratitude for that. And how can I help others around me feel that same gratitude or how can I convey that or brighten their day or change their world, uh, whether it be financially. I know I've recently worked with a few people that I'm just, I'm blown away by their, their fearlessness to do good, to do good with money, to do good with their, their contacts, to do good in their community. And it just inspires me. And I go, man, I just need to be, that person as well. When I meet people, I need to be, you know, just fearless to help them in some way. I have this saying, um, self-induced vulnerability. How do I put myself in situations? I self-induce vulnerability in my life, which helps me go to places I've never gone before and just grow and dig deep. And out of that, then I have a better understanding of maybe somebody else's situation or or I've learned a new, a new tool in my world of helping people, business-wise, personal-wise, relationship-wise, whatever. So that might be part of my calling: is how do I self-induce myself into a vulnerable situation? Well, I think you know you've said so much in there that when you look at making yourself vulnerable, when you are willing to go through the uncomfortable kind of growth and conversations and all the things that you, you know, you as any married couple go through, you, it is actually, you know, of course the old saying is what, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is that if you're willing to go through the eye of the needle in the tough conversations, in the relationship development, in, in understanding who you are, being vulnerable, uh, being committed to being authentic, you come out the other side stronger, smarter, and a bigger contribution. Would you agree with that? Like, do, is that how you see it as well? Yeah, 100%. 
How do you define success? Hmm. Success is, is not about money. Mm. It's not about having things. It takes a long time to learn that one for most, I think. It does. Yeah. You know, I'm learning less is more. Um, and I, you know, I'm driven to find ways to, to buy more property and have more cash flow, passive cash flow properties and, sure. and uh, do more sales and build a bigger team and all that. I'm always driven for that, but I'm realizing that less is more. And, um, and I think that that is more of a true definition for me is less is more, less is more and experiences in life are way more important than, than having more stuff. So, um, I am working hard. I'm, I've actually meant, uh, I've actually had a mental shift in the way that I think, and it's just come out in the last six to 12 months where I need to be less about stuff and more about experiences and more about creating experiences for the really important people in my life, which is being with me, mm -hmm. not knowing that I'm there, but actually being, what is my being doing? Mm -hmm. And so if my being can empower and inspire people in my world, that is success. Mm. So my being, my personal being, who I am, who I've been created, am I empowering people around me? And am I inspiring them? That to me is success. I love that. I really, really get that. I, I identify really well with that is, you know, through the evolution. Now, you know, as we sit here, both of us 50 plus in our, you know, in our years on this earth and this planet and the learning, do you think we have to get to our age to start to really understand that? Well, you know, if, if, if somebody is 25 or 30 and listening to this particular podcast and, and this kind of conversation, do you ever wish I, you know, I, I would have got this sooner? You know, you're talking about, you know, your own evolution and what your realizations are in the past six to 12 months. But do you ever think, gosh, I wish I would have known this when I was 30? I guess it would have changed your path, eh? I, I, it would have changed the path. Sure. Um, I mean, we always desired to be better, faster, stronger. At least I desire to be course. better, faster, stronger. Yeah. yeah. Understand more clarity, have clarity in things much, much quicker than I do. I believe I was created to be on this path, and I'm comfortable with this path. I'm, I'm blessed. I feel um, that I am very, very fortunate to be where I'm at. However, that being said, I meet 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds that I go, wow, like, these, guys, <laughs> no, these, are these so, guys are lit. Yeah, they, They're that. lit up. They've yeah. got it. Yeah. They're making it happen yeah. at 25 or 30 when I was just an infant yeah. in their world. Yeah. Really. yeah. So I think we all have our own path. Sure. Um, I'm grateful for what I have. Yeah. I feel blessed. So. Yeah, that's great. So be it. Now, back to Eximus a little bit. Now you've gone, you know, it's gone through iterations and evolutions and all of the things that it has done. Um, bring me up to speed with where you're at. Now, I know there was a time where you had a, I think a bigger team than you have now. Is that, is that the case? You've kind of either downscaled or you've shifted the focus. Give me mm -hmm. a little bit of background of what's going on for Eximus these days and in the evolution of not just environment, but, you know, philosophically and, and what stand the business takes now versus what it did in the past. What was some of that evolution? Mm -hmm. 
Well, if I could come back to that saying where I, I really believe the being yes. needs to be empowering and inspiring, um, that's really uh, where where I see Xmas at this point is how can we as an office empower and inspire not only um, the people that we're, we're serving, but also internally as well. Uh, the team ha- has grown, shrunk, it flexes this way, that way. Um, and it just depends on the individuals that are there. At times, they they grow very quickly. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a bit of a university for people. Right. For that that new realtor that comes in. I love hiring new realtors because there's there's nothing that, I shouldn't say hire, I should say I love partnering. Sure. Wrong word. Partnering with new agents that are new to the business because they don't have any bad habits at this point. So I can really shape mold, help them become not only the best realtor, but the best person that they can be. So I want people to come into the office and be inspired and empowered, but also leave as better people. So you're really, you know, in, in your world and, and how you run your business is, I think it's very similar to how I try and develop the team, you know, of the businesses that I have, which is aside from what you do, it is really about who you're being while you're doing it. You know, there's the who is, there's the what we do and there's the who we're being while we do it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's kind of the evolution of Eximus and, and the team that you've developed. Yes. You know, it's really a mentorship program. Sure. Sure. I totally get that. Now, as we talk about, not all things go well and, and you've shared in the past our, our own challenges in business and, and what we've faced and, you know, just because we're business, it's, it's just life, right? It's, you know, life is messy. Business is messy. And, you know, the best laid plans. Now, when when things are really hitting the fan and, you know, nothing's going right that day, that week, you know, what's your mindset around it? How are you How are you mentally coping or, me- I don't even want to say coping, I don't like the word coping. How are you handling and uh, taking on those challenges or, or the stuff when it's hitting the fan? What's your mindset around that? It's really about just, let's keep moving forward, move forward, move forward. So never as I mentioned earlier, never look in the rear view mirror because we can sit there and uh, have paralysis. So it's prioritizing in that moment and then keeping keep moving forward. Very important, I think, as any entrepreneur to be able to keep moving forward, forward, forward. Yep, just keep moving forward. That's your, I, I get it. That's a, almost a mantra. You know, you're not getting caught in the drama of it. Okay, got it. Let's just keep going mm-hmm. forward. Let's just keep dealing with it as it comes at us. So it doesn't shut you down is the biggest thing. It doesn't turn into a bigger drama or right. it doesn't melt you down. Mm-hmm. You as a, you know, as Eximus and you as an individual, as much as you're supporting homeowners and first time buyers and 10th time buyers, you you deal a lot with real estate investors. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you've been a part or a member of Rain. You know, and but you've also you've been on our stage, and uh, certainly you've worked a lot with Richard and I, and in terms of you know developing and even starting to define how we communicate with with real estate investors and and Rain members, and uh, you know about teaching. It's always about education and learning. So in dealing with the investors on a regular basis that you do. What do you see? Do you see a common thing or is there top three things that you see are, you know, if you were giving advice or if you were giving guidance to a real estate investor, whether it be their first property, and maybe that's a different conversation than their 10th property, but 
is there patterns that you see? Is there certain things that you see they, that, you know, is common to real estate investors that they trip over or that you see getting in their way that let, you know, stops them or common mistakes, any, any kind of guidance to real estate investors that you would give as a realtor who is finding deals for investors? I think surrounding themselves with the right people. And we always say, you know, the, the five people in your world are the most influential and that's who you're going to become. So surrounding themselves, investors, they need to surround themselves with the right team. Um, for me, my side of it is being a realtor. So they need to find the right realtor, not necessarily saying it's always going to be me, but the right realtor that fits their world, their way of thinking, but at the same time pushes them. Uh, I find a lot of people get kind of stuck and they kind of have this paralysis that they just can't move forward. So having an agent that is very knowledgeable, is willing to teach through the process, mm-hmm. helping them, especially for the new investor, um, and giving them confidence in what they're doing. Uh, that's really important. Um, how you can, you know, basically say, "Hey, borrow my confidence. Like, I'll lend you my confidence. Come borrow it, and let's do this together." And once that that process has been done once or twice. They become a lot more open and understanding of how to be fearless as investors. So a lot of people just get stuck and they need to borrow that, that, that uh, energy, that um, confidence in what they're doing from others. Can you, you know, when we talk about, you know, great business owners, great realtors, you know, uh, and, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a realtor. It could be any business that there are certainly transactional based businesses, you know, mm-hmm. there's, you know, I'm going to go buy this and, you know, I, I won't ever probably ever see you again. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Mm-hmm. Then there are those relational, uh, businesses. So, you know, as a realtor, it is very relational based. It's not transactional. Right. Now that's not to say all realtors, you know, think that way. You know, there are certainly realtors that think transactional. I know that, you and the most successful realtors that I know, and I happen to know many, they're very relational, relationship focused. So mm-hmm. it's a very relational kind of thing that goes on. They look long-term. I want to, you know, I want to be part of every deal you ever do, and I'm going to earn the respect of you. Do you think on the other side of that with real estate investors that they sometimes look at the realtor as transactional. So they're, they're not, they're not walking into the relationship on the other side as an investor saying, this is a relational, this is a relationship that I want to build with you in the long term. It's just transactional, get this Mm -hmm. deal done and see you later. Do you, do you find that? Yeah. I think that's, I think it's really important that the realtor shares that they want to build a relationship. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I meet with an investor, you know, you, you basically interview each other in a sense. So I know I have a lot of investors that come and interview me, but (laughs) I'm also interviewing them. Sure. Because I want to build a relationship. I don't want it to be a one-off. I want it to be something that is going to be a relationship for for 10 or 20 years or as long as I'm in real estate. And I've always used this. It doesn't have to be an investor. Anybody I work with, I use this as my asset test. Listen, I want to do such a good job for you, and I want to create this understanding between us that when you're ready to sell again or buy again, whether that's six months, one year, three years, five years, 20 years from now, you're going to go, I want to use Randy because he did such a phenomenal job for me. And, and so, I mean, we are just really, 
uber networkers. Really, that's we have to be. Sure. And we have to be able to create, um, you know, this relationship, sometimes under a very short period of time, that they remember you, that they trust you, that they like you, that they think that, you know, you're really, really working hard for them to get the best possible buy, sell, um, that you care about them, you know, that the, that the trust level is high. And uh, so that that's how I approach it always. But with investors, I think it's even more important because you're doing probably a, a uh, it's not just an emotional transaction, it's a business transaction. And it even comes into, I think, a more clear understanding of building a relationship, long-term relationship. So, you know, we're jumping around a little bit and, and but I want to, I want to know a little bit more about, you know, Randy in terms of your own professional development. Now, is, you know, you talked about, you know, reading Mark Manson and, and, and the recent book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving uh, a Fuck. And let me ask you, is, is reading that, is reading a big part of your day? Is, are you constantly reading? Because I've talked to different people who reading isn't part of their day. It's just like, nah, yeah, no, not really. I just do what I do. Is that a big part of what you do? Is Are you learning constantly on your reading? I love reading books. Um, my, my wife always gives me the gears. Another self-help book? <laughs> like, come on, read fiction for once. Sure. And I just can't get into fiction. Right. I love I love reading self-help books of sure. some sort, business books. I don't read as much as I'd like. Um, mm-hmm. Time is always um, stretched in such a way that I find it hard to sit down with books. Um, I do read a lot when I check out. So when I'm on a vacation, I'm certainly going to soak up a couple books. But I do read a lot of, uh, I've subscribed to so, some uh, bloggers in yeah. email, and that's where I catch it. I can read something in in three minutes, yeah. and I get I get the nugget, and I move on. Yeah. I do a little bit of both. I do read a lot, but I, I am finding that uh, more and more, you know, that's the one thing that, you know, the internet has given us is access mm-hmm. to some amazing writers. And the research they do to come up with the stuff they come up with is is pretty remarkable. And so checking into those blogs is really cool. Do you have a, a routine? Like, what's your day? You know, are you, are you an early riser or a late riser? You know, how do you look after yourself in terms of your own health and wellness? Mm-hmm. And what, what does your day look like in terms of where do you focus time on you? Okay. Uh, I'm up at 5.10 every, well, not every morning, Monday to Friday, 5.10. I uh, then go to the gym, spend time at the gym. That's really important for me. Um, so what time are you at the gym? Are you a 6 a.m. guy, 5.30? Like, do you go straight to the gym? Do you have breakfast? What do you do? I, I get up, have a little bit of breakfast, yeah. um, go through some email at that point, sure. read a couple blogs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, I, uh, then I'm then i off at the gym, off to the gym. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I work out with a trainer. Mm-hmm. I really love that. And yeah. I also train with two, three, four other guys at the same time, which... Right. I uh, have a bar to set. Yes. <laughs> so I love yeah. I love hanging out with other guys that are uh, motivated to work hard. And uh, so then I'm back home by about seven. Yeah. Um, quick shower, shave, uh, breakfast with my beautiful bride, Jolene. And then off to the office by, uh, depending on what, it, what my schedule is like, by 8 to 8.30, I'm at the office. Um, I am not a guy that goes out for lunch. I always pack two meals with me every day because my schedule is sometimes hit and miss when I can grab something. So I want to eat clean. I want to eat right. So I have two meals with me at all times that I can uh, devour and, and keep fueled up and keep going. And, um, and I, I often just work till, uh, 
till I have to. Um, a lot of times I, I make it home for dinner at, by seven o'clock. That's often dinner time at our house, seven o'clock. It used to be much earlier when my kids were still around, but uh, with just Jolie and I now, we're empty nesters. Uh, seven o'clock works out really well. So, you know, if I can pack everything in between eight and seven, uh, I love doing that. But as you know, real estate is kind of the, one of those 24 seven jobs. Now, just out of curiosity, you know, you're a fit guy and you train, you're, you, um, what's it called? You're kite, uh, mm, kite surfing. You, you are, you, you kite surf, but that's kind of cool. So mm-hmm. is there any other sport that you play on a regular basis or is there, uh, aside from kite surfing, what do you do on a regular basis? I'll rephrase the question. Pretty much have done everything, but, uh, I probably only have time for one passion at a time. So right now that is kite surfing. Mm-hmm. And, um, if I've got time or I try and find time, it's kite surfing, but I've done, I've done just about every sport. I love, I love golf, hockey, yep. um, baseball, just, basketball, like volleyball. Active. I've, I've done it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was never like a phenomenal athlete. I was just good at everything. That's great. Now, uh, diet, you yeah. talk about packing lunches, eating right. What is eating right for you? Are you uh, on a specific diet? Do you, you know, I know that listeners like to hear the details a little bit about that kind of thing. What is it for you? Yeah. Um, you a big high protein guy or. So, well, first thing in the morning I get up and I have a protein shake. Yep. Um, banana and a couple things before I go to the gym. Then when I come home, I just generally just have, um, you know, three eggs, uh, dry toast. Yep. A coffee, banana again, vitamins, yeah. Yeah. supplements, and uh, then lunch will probably be a chicken wrap mm-hmm. or a, or a steak wrap or something like that that is you know clean, not a lot of things in it. I don't yeah. juice it up with a lot of yeah. a lot of stuff. Uh, yogurt, fruit. Um, so you just really, but you do pay attention to your diet. So you're yes. not just arbitrarily putting stuff in your mouth. It's pretty thoughtful of what you do. Yeah, I. I mean, I don't do fast food. I, yeah. I don't, uh, even when I go out for, for a lunch or a dinner with, with friends and that, you know, I mean, most of the stuff on the menu is not very good for you. So I try to be selective, yeah. but, uh, you know, you got to cheat once in a while. Well, that's, and that's perfect, but that's, you know, that's being conscious about, you know, what you're putting in your body and how you're being. And, and once again, is, is, you know, we're looking at the success that you've achieved and there are patterns, there are routines, there are things that individuals who are successful just seem to fall into in their focus. When you look at Eximus, when you look at your business, when you look into the future, you know, do you see yourself doing, you know, some form of business 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road? You know, what is it for you in terms of what's your, what's your vision for the future, given that you're, you're at the age you're at, you're at the point in your life where you're at, you've got growing children, likely be a grandfather soon. Um, mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. Yeah, looking forward to that. I can attest to the, how much fun <laughs> that is. And and so what do you see in the future for business? And do you ever see yourself retiring? And what would that look like? What is, mm-hmm. it, what is it for you, Randy? If I go back just to my meals. Sure. Everything in my life is very disciplined and consistent. Mm. And that's really where I find success, you know, like on a daily basis is just doing something really good over and over and over again. Right. And so um, if I think of my future, uh, I go, wow, like I just want to keep working because it's fun. I like engaging with people. I like engaging in things, but I've now disciplined my world, my life, my mind, my body that I got to be doing something active all the time. And so for me to say, 
hey, you know, I'm going to retire next year. I think I, that would just drive me nuts. What would you do? Right? I would go crazy. Yeah. So I will be involved in business um, of some sort, I think for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. unless, you know, unforeseen thing comes my way, health, something, something can change up. But at this point, I would just say I'm moving forward with being involved in some sort of business, whether that's, you know, still real estate, managing a team, development, um, I mean, speaking, I love speaking and coaching and mentoring. And, and so- you're really good at it, by the way. We just, you, you, I just have to say you were on our stage a month ago or three weeks ago, whatever it was, dude, you just hit it out of the park. You know, as I've watched your own evolution as a, a speaker, it's like, I went, wow, Randy's really, really killing it. So good job. I just want to say that it was really good, by the way. Well, thank you. And that comes out of being vulnerable. And putting mm. myself in those positions because there was a time that I wasn't comfortable on a oh, stage. Well, yeah, join the crowd, right? You, but I say that some people just they have absolutely nothing around it. Yet, you know, we know that public speaking is uh, feared more than death. So it's mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how crazy is that? And so, anyways, good job on that. I uh, really appreciate it that what you delivered from stage uh, the other evening. So, uh, you know, as we kind of wind down the show a little bit, I, I mean, there's so many. You know, we could carry on forever. I, I love these conversations and, and I love the guests on the show and just the lessons and the insights that they, they bring. I like to wind the show down a little bit with some rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, so you ready for that? Yes. Okay. Here we go. Uh, what's your favorite swear word? Jiggers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. I have no idea what that means or where that comes from. Uh, so other than what you're doing in business, what would be a profession that you'd take on if, if you could and, uh, or would you? Speaking. Speaking. You would just do the whole speaking gig. Uh, what topics would you like to do? Like if you're going to be a speaker, now this is not rapid fire anymore, but you opened up a, a, a conversation a little bit that I want to touch on. Um, you're good at speaking. You, you present, you, you hold the space on stage extremely well. Love it. What would you, uh, what would you want to speak about? I love motivating people and I understand real estate really well. So it'd be a combination of how can I motivate people? How can I motivate individuals to be really good at real estate in some fashion? Hmm. Yeah. Maybe, so maybe through investing, you know, like that whole, that whole circle, that whole world around real estate. Yeah. And then just diving in and helping people to either understand or motivate them. Yeah. That's cool. I, you know, uh, and just to riff a briefly off that, you know, the reality of rain and the real estate investment network is what Don Campbell, Richard Dolan and myself, you know, we are really, really, you know, we get to love what we do because as we, we're just having, we get to have an impact on other people's lives. We get to be a contribution to others in the education and the learning. It's, you can't actually, actually from our perspective, I don't know if you can ask for a better, you know, model for business when you're actually supporting the success of others. And I know you touched on that and that's kind of what gets you out of bed in the morning is being a contribution. And, uh, that's adding cool. value. Yeah. Okay. So, so much for rapid fire. We're slowing right, right down here. <laughs> so if heaven exists, uh, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done, my faithful servant. On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Seven. Yeah. You see, you're not that weird. Like, no. Yeah. It, or, or we're as, you know, maybe we're as weird together. Anyways, because I relate to that. Uh, I don't even know if you're seven, but I'll give you that. Uh, what are you just not very good at? What do you suck at? 
but you still it's in your there <laughs> what do i suck at um damn it i'm good at everything <laughs> well <laughs> that's the entrepreneur <laughs> in me uh i i am really poor at details at times mm. yeah yeah the it's finite just, details yeah there's some people that are so equipped for that and they do so good i'm i'm often mesmerized and i'm so so thankful that those people <laughs> exist room desk or your car what do you clean first room are you uh do you, do you need that space to be kind of neat and tidy and straight does it, that give you comfort is that what it is for you i'm well if you saw my desk it's not very yeah yeah tidy not mine either um but i think when i think of room i think of of my my home yes my home needs to be clean yeah but my office desk i mean it's it's chaos it yeah. looks like chaos people it's... look at it and go how do you organize all this stuff it's mm -hmm. it's all organized just don't touch it <laughs> i find that in you know my my space you know stephanie and i live in a pretty organized space and certainly a clean space you know stephanie's that way i look at her desk and or even in her office sometimes i, I it just it melts me down but she knows where every single piece of paper or document is and um i find that when i come into a space sometimes i even have to clean the space before i can do work mm -hmm. I, it, it's just how my brain fires is is that similar for you you need to come into that space or you can just how is it for you if my desk is too organized i feel unproductive <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I, uh, that's cool it's just how uh, it's just amazing how people's our, our brains fire right i feel totally on what are you gonna do today you're unproductive you got nothing on your desk <laughs> that's so awesome uh what's your favorite tune my favorite tune um anything you two uh yeah i agree that's a good one what's your favorite movie favorite movie do you have one uh, I'm going to answer for my wife, Braveheart. Braveheart. Ah. If she's happy, I'm happy. There you go. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in all of that. What are you grateful for? Mm, my family, my wife. Yeah. Yeah, the life that I've been given, the privileged life I've been given. You know, when I ask that question, you know, of people, and it always gets me to, I always have a different sense of gratitude when I ask that question and hear an answer for me. I'm, I'm grateful for all those things. I'm always grateful for, you know, to be honored to have a guest on my show and to create the relationships and, and that I've been able to create and get the support from, you know, experts like you. And, and certainly I am so grateful for my family. And as we sit here today in the Fraser Valley and uh, we look out the window, it's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. It's really awesome. And I'm grateful for that. Randy Dick, thank you so much for being on the show. I think there's was some absolutely amazing lessons in what you shared today. And uh, I appreciate your time, your energy, and for you joining me in the Everyday Millionaire Poolside Studio. It's been fun. And uh, thanks again, pal. My pleasure. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. 
And until next time, Patrick out.